And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. In 1982, Jesus changed my life. Now, for you that don't know my story, I believe with all my heart I was saved when I was eight years old. At that time, my life was radically changed, even though I was very young. God gave me a hunger for his word. He gave me a desire to pray. He gave me a longing to see people saved. He gave me a love for Jesus that I didn't have before. My life had been changed. But when I got into high school, Something happened. I began to crave popularity more than I craved a a desire for holiness and righteousness and obedience to God. And because of that, I began to make some decisions, some choices that were in danger of destroying my life. I began to abuse alcohol, drugs, and some other things. And and I got to tell you, I was on a path headed for destruction. But God. That's how it always is. God steps into our life and he intervenes. For me, it happened one morning about 2 o'clock in the morning. I came under conviction like never before. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I literally fell on my face outside before God, asking him to forgive me, asking him to save me if I hadn't been saved. And I literally gave him control of my life. I surrendered everything to him. I said, God, I am yours. Whatever you want me to do, I will do. I knew I'd been forgiven. I knew I'd been saved. I knew that I wanted to serve Jesus for the rest of my life. But with that also came a very judgmental spirit. You see, I began to see everything as either black or white, right or wrong. There were no shades of gray. But what I soon discovered was there were other people that loved Jesus as much as I did, that believed the Bible just like I did, that had a difference of opinion on some of the issues that that I felt like were black and white. For instance, when Jesus got a hold of me in, in 1982, I was playing ball. And, and one of the things that we did that may not be that wise, but one of the things we did is we dipped. We put a little pinch between our cheek and gum, chewed tobacco. And, and I did that even after Jesus got a hold of my life. And there was this man in my home church named Tommy Ganey. And Tommy Ganey had got radically saved from a life of of sin. And whenever I would go home to my home church and I would help my dad around the church and we'd cut trees and do things like that, Tommy Ganey was out there helping. And when we were outside working like that, I'd put a little tobacco in and I was, you know, dipping that tobacco and Tommy would look at me and he would get all over me. 
And he said, I was sinning against God. He had one opinion, I had another opinion, but we both loved Jesus. Or let me give you another example. My senior year of college, I had the opportunity to, to study overseas, and I was overseas for six weeks, and I was there with some other students from the college I went to and some professors that went with us. And as we sat down to eat some of our meals, some of the, the students and some of the professors did something that I got to tell you, I thought was going to send them to hell. They drank wine with their meal. I mean, I, I, I grew up believing that drinking alcohol was a sin, period. I mean, if it got on your clothes, you better wash those clothes. And here were those professors and those, those um, students drinking that wine. And I was thinking, man alive, I don't want to sit by them because the fire of God's judgment may fall on them. Here I was. I loved Jesus. I believed his word. And yet there were these other people that loved Jesus and believed his word. And, and we had a difference of opinion on some issues. And so what are we supposed to do when we have a difference of opinion on issues? What are we supposed to do when we disagree with other believers about certain issues in the Christian life? Are we supposed to separate from them? That's what some people think. Are we supposed to judge them? That's what other people do. Are we supposed to call them out on social media? You may be guilty of doing that. What are we supposed to do? Well, that's what our passage deals with today. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to try to answer this question. What are we to do when we disagree with other believers on certain issues in the Christian life? Now, I believe that, that God's word and you hearing God's word is always more important than you hearing my exposition of God's word. And so I want to go ahead and read this entire passage because I want you to hear what God says. And then I want to kind of unpack it for you if I can. Romans chapter 14, beginning in verse 1, we're going to read through chapter 7 of verse 15. Paul says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. And don't argue with them about what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything. But another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free, those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? They are responsible to the Lord, so let him judge whether they are right or wrong. And with the Lord's help, they will do what is right and will receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whatever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor him. Those who eat any kind of food do so to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose to be Lord both of the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? 
Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scriptures say, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of you will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. I know and am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. And if another believer is distressed by what you eat, you are not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God and others will approve of you too. So then, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable But it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing, but keep it between yourself and God. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they have decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions, your conscience. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. We who are strong must be considered of those who are sensitive about things like this. We must not just please ourselves. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please himself. As the scriptures say, the the insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. Such things were written in scripture long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. May God who gives us patience and encouragement help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Now Paul gives us a number of things that we need to do if we're going to live in harmony in the midst of disagreeing on things in this passage. But I want to give you four that I believe are extremely important. The first thing we must do is recognize that there are disputable and indisputable matters when it comes to the Christian faith. Let me say that again. There are disputable matters and there are indisputable matters when it comes to the Christian faith. Now, the New International Version of the translation of verse 1, I believe, is the best translation of this passage from the original language. It says, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, you need to understand two things in this verse. First, Paul is talking about our relationship with other believers. He's not talking about our relationship with the lost world. And second, he is talking about disputable matters, not indisputable matters. Now, notice Paul begins by telling us to accept those whose faith is weak. 
When we become a part of God's family, we need to understand that not everyone is at the same place in their spiritual journey. Some people are just beginning their spiritual journey. They are babes in Christ. There are other people who are growing in their spiritual journey. And then there are others who are mature in the faith. They are mature in their spiritual journey. The problem comes when we expect everyone to be at the same place in their journey and see the and have the same perspective on every issue in life that's just not going to happen and so paul says what we're to do is we are to accept those believers who are weaker in the faith than we are what he is saying here is that we need to accept those who have not come to understand god's grace in the same way that we understand God's grace. Now, some people would say, well, aren't all matters disputable? Aren't there differences of opinion on all issues? And I would say, yes, there are differences of opinion on all issues, but not all issues are disputable. You see, Paul makes it clear that there are some things that we divide over. There are some things that we draw a line in the sand and we say we cannot cross over this line and be a part of the family of faith. You see, he is saying here, we don't judge on disputable matters. Nowhere in God's word does he tell us not to judge on the indisputable matters. When it comes to black and white, we draw a line in the sand. When it comes to gray, we recognize that there are differences of opinion. You see, when the Bible condones something, then we are free to enjoy it. When the Bible condemns something, it is off limits. But when the Bible doesn't speak to an issue, then we are told that we need to follow our conscience. You see, we must recognize that there is a difference between biblical truth and personal opinion and personal preference. Now, the issues that Paul is dealing with here are twofold. He is dealing with diet and he's dealing with days. He's writing to the church at Rome. And in the church at Rome, there were idols all over the place. There were temples to idols almost on every street corner. It's like a church in the south. And almost all meat that you could buy in the meat market had been offered to an idol. And there were some believers that said, if, if this meat has been offered to an idol, we can't eat it. Because if we're eating this meat that has been offered to an idol, then we are participating in idol worship. Therefore, we would rather be vegetarians. We'd just simply rather eat vegetables than, than risk eating meat offered to an idol. There were other believers that says, no, 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 that's wrong. These idols are lifeless, they're useless. There's only one true God. It doesn't matter whether this meat was offered to an idol or not. If we do it for the glory of God, it's okay. Now, Paul had a very strong opinion on this issue. But he said, when it comes to issues like this, they're disputable. When it comes to issues like this, we don't draw a line in the sand. We recognize that we can have differences of opinion. The second issue had to do with the day that we worship. The church at Rome was composed of both Jews and Gentiles. And these Jews, they had been worshiping on the Sabbath, Saturday, for over 1,500 years. 
And they felt like, why change a good thing? We need to worship God on Saturday, the Sabbath. God established this from the very beginning. And he's also established other holy days, other holidays that we need to adhere to as we go through our year. And then there were other believers, primarily the Gentile believers on this issue, that said, oh, wait a minute. We're no longer under the law. We don't have to observe these Jewish ordinances anymore. We're free to worship on any day we want to. And we would rather worship on Sunday because that's the Lord's day. That's the day that he was resurrected from the grave. Or or we can worship on Monday or Tuesday. It doesn't matter what day. And Paul said, hold, time out, wait a second. These are these issues of preference. These are these issues of opinion. And and we don't divide over these issues. We We don't separate over these issues. Because these issues are issues of opinion. But don't forget, there are indisputable issues. There are black and white issues. Where the Bible speaks on something clearly, there is a line in the sand. Let, let me give you some. God, God's Word speaks to some moral issues and some, some just issues regarding mankind itself. For instance, the Bible says that God created them male and female. There are two genders. There aren't three genders. There aren't four genders. There aren't 15 genders. There are two genders. Now, there are things that can happen during pregnancy and birth where chromosomes can get messed up. I understand that. But God created us male and female. There are only two genders. When it comes to marriage, God said that marriage is between a man and a woman. Therefore, a man will leave his mother and father, cleave to his wife, and the two will become one. These things are mentioned over and over. When it comes to sex, the Bible is crystal clear on what is sin and what is not. The Bible says adultery is sin. Always. The Bible says sex outside of marriage is sin. Always. The Bible says homosexuality is sin. Always. The Bible is very clear on these issues. The Bible is clear on drunkenness. The Bible says it is a sin to get drunk. The Bible is clear on racism. The Bible says this is a sin because God created us to be one people from one Race. Racism is a sin. You see, there are moral issues that are black and white. There are doctrinal issues that are black and white. There is one God. There aren't many gods. There is only one God. There aren't two gods, God and Satan. There is one God, the God who is above all gods. Jesus is the only way to God. The Bible is God's word. These are doctrinal issues that are written in stone. Here's what the apostle said about these these indisputable matters. When it comes to theological issues, he said in Galatians, if anyone preaches another gospel, then that person is to be accursed, condemned. That's strong language, isn't it? So when someone begins to teach something that is apart from God's word, that person stands condemned. When it comes to moral issues, God's word is very clear. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this, If someone is openly living in immorality, they are to be removed from the church. That is strong, isn't it? That's a hard word for us to hear today. But yet, that's what the Bible says. We 
deal with open sin. We deal with doctrinal heresy. We must deal with these things. There are black and white, but then there are many shades of gray as we walk through the world. And we need to recognize that. Let me give you a few uh, that I see in our life. What about this one? Public school versus private school versus homeschooling. I mean, that's an issue that if you get a public school mom together with a private school mom, man, there's going to be a cat fight. I'm just telling you. Because emotions run high when it comes to this issue. Some people say, why would you send your kid to private school? We're to be salt and light in the world. Why don't we disciple our kids and send them into the public school system so that they can make a difference in the world? What's the matter with you? Are you not discipling your child? Others would say, you don't care for your kid? Why are you sending your kid out like a lamb among the wolves to be slaughtered? Because that's what's going to happen in the public school system. They're teaching things that are clearly not biblical from evolution to sex to other things like that that just have nothing to do with a biblical worldview. How can you do that? And then there are other people that say, how can you send them anywhere? You need to keep them home. The world's a horrible place. And so you have that difference of opinion there on, on those kind of issues. What about social drinking? Understand, I want you to hear me. I don't drink. I grew up a teetotaler. And then I ran from the Lord, and I became something far from that. And then Jesus got a hold of my life, and I became a teetotaler again. I don't drink. But understand, as you read the Bible, there are some, there are some tough passages there. For instance, the Bible says that, that wine was given to us by God for our enjoyment. Did you know that? Did you know that the Bible teaches that Jesus turned the water into wine? And yet at the same time, it tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging. He that taketh thereof is not wise. I mean, you sit back here and go, okay, you don't drink wine, you do drink wine. I don't know. What do you do? Well, you, you, don't, you don't judge somebody else that does. That's what you do. You recognize that this is one of those matters of preference. It's one of those matters of opinion. What about the Bible version that you should use? I, I teach from the New Living Translation. But did you know I've been called a liberal for doing that? Me? A, a liberal? I, I mean, I, I, I laugh at that. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm out there in no man's land. You know, I'm not a fundamentalist. I'm not a liberal. I don't know what I am. I, I'm just, I guess I just love Jesus and love his word. But the issue is that the Bible doesn't give us clearly, thus saith the Lord, the KJV 1644 is the one to follow. It doesn't say that. And so you, you, you've got to understand this is a matter of preference. What about the way we dress in church? I mean, I grew up where you wore your Sunday best. I mean, as a kid, you know, my dad took me to get my first suit before I was in school. And I mean, I had to wear a tie, and we had to spit shine our shoes because my dad was in the Marines. And I mean, you went to church all dressed up, and, and here I am wearing jeans and a pair of tennis shoes now. What's up with that? I mean, people have different views and opinions on what you should wear to church. What about the second coming of Jesus? Some people say, well, Jesus is coming before the rapture. Or Jesus is coming at the rapture before the tribulation. Other people say, no, Christians will go through the tribulation. 
Well, let me just tell you, I hope he comes before the tribulation. But if he doesn't, I want to be ready for the tribulation. Amen? The, the truth of the matter is, that's one of those issues where people that love Jesus have disagreed since the beginning of the church. What about Calvinism versus Arminianism? Does God choose certain people to be saved and not choose others? I mean, you can read one passage of Scripture and you can go, wow, it seems to say that. You read another passage of Scripture and say, no, it doesn't say that. So what do you do? Well, you don't judge. That's one thing you don't do. You don't draw a line in the sand and say, I'm right and you're wrong. Because if you do that, I think God may just change his mind to prove you wrong. You know I'm joking there. But you see, there are issues where are, they're preferential and there are issues that are opinions and there are issues that are lines in the sand. Let me give you one other. Let's just stir the pot a little bit more. What about Halloween? What about Halloween? I mean, when our kids were growing up, I know they thought that their mom and dad were schizophrenic. I mean, because one, one year... I mean, we would go out and, and we would pray over our yard before Halloween. You know, we'd put the holy dust out, keeping the devil away on Halloween because this is the devil's day. And then the next year, we'd let our kids dress up and go out and get as much sugar as they could from our neighbors. And I know they thought, okay, Halloween's wrong. No, it's right. No, it's wrong. No, it's right. What is it? Well, it's a day. It's a day. Some people say it's the devil's day. Some people say, no, it's all saints' day. I mean, if you don't want your kids to, to, to celebrate Halloween, that's okay. But don't look at your friends who let their kids celebrate Halloween and think they're devil worshipers. I mean, these are issues of preference. These are issues of opinion. And so the Bible tells us there are disputable and there are indisputable issues. That's truth number one. We got 12 seconds, so we got to hurry on these next three, okay? Here's truth number two. We've got to accept those that we disagree with. Verse one says this. Let me read it again. It says, accept other believers who are weak in the faith. That word accept, the Greek word, is found four times in this passage. It literally means in the Greek to lay hold of, to welcome, to take to oneself, to receive. It carries the idea of, of, of inviting someone into your house. It implies friendship, opening your heart to them. You, you see, accepting isn't, a, isn't a, a matter of the brain. Accepting is a matter of the heart. It means that you are willing to enter into a relationship with someone that you disagree with on issues. And that's tough for us, isn't it? I mean, there, there are some of us that won't, I mean, if there's a Democrat in the church, I'm not going to that church. Others would say if there's a Republican in that church, I'm not going to that church. Some would say if they believe that, that, not, that, that God just wants to save some and not everybody, I'm not going to that church. Others would say the opposite. And they go to just different churches on that. And then there are other people that, that divide over these social issues and go to different churches. And then some of us won't sit on the same side of the church over these issues. We certainly won't be in the same life group with them and won't invite them to our home. Because goodness gracious, what will happen if we ever get into a discussion on this? Start arguing about it. Well, discussion's a good thing, right? Amen? I mean, because when we discuss things, we may not still see eye to eye, but if we can discuss them with the spirit of Jesus, we can better understand where people are, where they're coming from, when it comes to these disputable 
issues. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 15, verse 7. He says, therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. Accept others like Christ accepted you. Do you know how Christ accepted you? Just like you are. But he loves you so much that he doesn't leave you like you are. You see, Christ accepts us where we are, but then he takes us to where we need to be. And that's what we're to do. We're to accept people where they are in their spiritual journey. And we're supposed to work with them, disciple them, and love them unconditionally as we move them to that place that God wants them to be. And when we do that, it will bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. I tell you, I'm glad that Christ accepted me where I was in my spiritual journey. Because there have been times in my spiritual journey as a believer that if I was sitting on the throne, I would have zapped me. (laughs) I would have taken me out. But praise God, he had patience with me. He was long-suffering with me. And he kept working on me. And can I tell you that he is still working on me? So accept those who disagree with you on these disputable issues. Third, be true to your conscience. Now let me give you this quickly. A conscience, I believe, is a God-given gift that you're born with. Everybody is born with a conscience. Did you hear that? Everybody. Regardless of the society that you're born into, you are born with a conscience. Your conscience is kind of like a moral compass where you kind of just instinctively know right from wrong. And and I believe that in every culture, every society, every part of the world, people are born with a conscience. And though societies can turn from their conscience, when people are born into this world, they are born knowing some things are right and some things are wrong. You don't just go and kill somebody. You don't steal from people. These things we know. That's why when kids do something wrong, they feel guilty. They try to hide it. Why? As a young child, I don't know necessarily that's the Holy Spirit convicting them. I think it is their conscience convicting them. But here's the deal. You can sear your conscience over time. The Apostle Paul said this in 1 Timothy first chapter 4. He said, these people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences have been seared. Think of it this way. If, if I take my, my hand, and I set it on a hot iron and leave it there, it can literally not just burn my hand, It can literally kill the nerves in my hand to the point that my hand no longer has feeling. Now you say, well, that's a good thing because my hand can't get hurt anymore. No, that's an awful thing because if your hand can get burnt or it can get hurt and you don't know that it's being burnt, I mean, it can destroy you. And so we don't want our conscience seared. Now, here's what you need to understand about a conscience. Let me tell you some things that Paul says here in this this passage. Chapter 14, verse 5, the last part. He said, each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. In other words, before you do anything, you ought to make sure that your conscience is clear as you're doing this. 
Chapter 14, verse 14, he says, I know and I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. And so Paul is giving his opinion on this. The meat offered to the idols that's for sale in the meat market, it's not wrong to eat that meat. But then he says this, but if someone believes it is wrong, then for that person it is wrong. Did you hear that? Paul said, it's not wrong to eat this meat, but if you believe it's wrong to eat this meat, it's wrong to eat this meat. And then he even takes it further. In verse 23, he says, but if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you are not following your convictions, your conscience. If you do, some, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And so you and I can do one of these things that is a disputable matter and we can go against our conscience and even though someone else can do it and it not be sin, it is sin for us because we are going against our conscience. Now, I believe that Paul teaches in this passage that some of us have a conscience that's more sensitive than others. Tony Evans talks about our conscience being like a metal detector at an airport. And with the metal detectors, you can set it to a a higher frequency so that it detects more metal or less metal. And that's how some of us are with our conscience. We haven't set it, but God has set our conscience a little more sensitive or a little less sensitive. And what I believe, I want you to listen, this is important. God may have set your conscience very sensitive in an area to protect you. So for instance... If you're here and you say, you know, I just believe it's wrong to drink. It doesn't matter whether it's wrong to drink or not. If you believe it's wrong to drink and you take a drink, it's wrong. It's sin. And God may, listen, God may have given you that conscience, that very sensitive conscience to protect you. Because he knows that your personality is like my personality. I've got one of those personalities where I've got an addictive personality. I mean, for me, it's all or nothing. You know, if I go to the buffet to eat, I've got to eat everything on the buffet because I've got to get my money's worth. I mean, I can't go and say, okay, I ate enough. I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm comfortable. I mean, if I, if I buy a meal, I don't leave food on my plate. You know why? I paid for it. I don't want to waste that. I may be dying, but I'm going to eat it. That, that's the kind of personality I've got. And so for me, hear me, for me, I'm not going to drink a glass of wine. I'm going to drink the whole bottle. I'm not going to drink a can of beer. I'm not going to drink a six-pack. I'm going to drink the case. I mean, that's the kind of personality I have. And so God may have given me a very sensitive conscience in this area because he knows that I am weak in this area and he wants to protect me from hurting myself. So be true to your conscience. And then the final thing I would say to you is this. Don't be a stumbling block. Let love limit your freedom. Chapter 14 verse 13 says, So let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. What Paul is saying here is this. There are things that we as a more mature believer may recognize are okay for us to do. 
But if it's going to cause someone else who is weaker in the faith to stumble, then we're not going to do it. And so you can take that in in, in a variety of ways and, and apply it to your life. You are willing to set aside your freedoms so that a weaker brother or sister in the faith will not stumble because of your freedoms. Paul said it this way. He said, I'd rather not eat meat again than to cause someone to stumble. And and so what that means is if you say it's not wrong to drink a glass of wine or or a can of beer, you say there's nothing wrong with that as long as I don't get drunk, and you try to flaunt that in front of people, let me tell you, the Bible says that you are wrong. You're wrong. And yet at the same time, The Bible says if your conscience tells you that one of those things are wrong and you look down on somebody on one of these disputable issues and you begin to judge them and condemn them because they are doing that, you are wrong. And regardless of whether you're wrong on this side or that side, what you are doing is you are dividing the body of Christ. And if we divide as a body... It's never over disputable issues. It's always over the indisputable issues. So we can say in the end, we were true to God. And so let me ask you, those of you who are followers of Christ, do you recognize that not everything is black and white? There are things that are, and those things that are clearly written in Scripture. By the way, how do we know whether it's black or white? Let me give you two things. It's written in God's Word, clearly in God's Word. And it typically has been believed since the beginning of the church, throughout church history. If something is indisputable, the Word of God clearly speaks to it, and the church has agreed on it from the very beginning. Now, some of you may say with that, well, Rocky, there are issues that the churches disagree on today. Well, that's because the church has become a a counterfeit church in many places today. If you look throughout church history, you can see up until the last 50 years, the church was in agreement on almost every major issue. And on those issues like that, we draw a line in the sand and we say, Thus saith the Lord, this is right. This is wrong, and we're going to stand on what is right. But those issues that are disputable, we go, disagree with you. I think you're you're wrong, but I love you. We're going to continue to work together. And, And we don't flaunt our freedoms in front of them. So what are you going to do? Do you recognize that there are disputable and indisputable issues in life? Are you willing to accept those that you disagree with on these indisputable issues? Are you going to follow your conscience so that you don't sin? And are you willing to give up your freedoms so that you won't be a stumbling block to someone else? That's what we're called to do as we mature in the faith as Christians. Now, if you're here and you're not a Christ follower, all of this is well and good, but it doesn't apply to you. What you need to do is humble yourself before God Acknowledge your sin and rebellion against the one who created you 
Surrender your life to him, trusting Jesus to be your Savior and Lord. And then, and only then, will you discover life the way God created you to live it. And so would you bow your head, close your eyes with me. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus, then I want to encourage you right now to acknowledge your rebellion. There's no salvation without that. I want to encourage you to turn from sin. There's no salvation without that. I want to encourage you to trust Christ alone to save you. There's no salvation apart from that. And I want to challenge you to surrender your all to Jesus. There's no salvation apart from that. You can pray this prayer if you're ready to do that. Dear God, I come to you this morning humbly asking you to forgive me for my sin and rebellion. I know I've sinned. I'm tired of living this way. Forgive me. Jesus, I I believe you died on the cross to pay for all my sins. I believe you rose from the grave to give me victory in this life. And victory in eternity. Today I'm trusting you to save me. Today I'm surrendering my life to you. From this moment on I'm going to follow you Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me. Amen.